0: Amen. Please be seated. Before Brian comes to bring forth the word, I wanted to just remind you that, as I mentioned already, Brian will be here just two more weeks before he and his family move to Manhattan. So this week is his last time to bring the word, at least as our assistant pastor, I trust, in the future. We'll be seeing from him again. Uh, next Sunday night, we will have a special time uh, I don't want to say celebration. That sounds wrong. It'll be uh, celebrating what the Lord has done through the ministry of the Huffs at our church. That's next Sunday night. So you can come out for that and we'll have a time of reflection and remembrance and thanking God for how God has used uh, Brian and Laura and his, their children, uh, in ministry here. I know it was, it was about seven years ago, this time seven years ago, where we first were introduced to Brian and, and learned of him as he was coming out of seminary and and I personally give uh, praise to God for directing uh, us to call Brian as our assistant pastor. I asked Brian when he came that he would uh, be committed to five to seven years, knowing he would be focusing on youth and family ministries. And you really have to be at least five years at a place to uh, become integrated in the community well and to know and to be able to shepherd. And so I'm grateful that he, he's been here almost seven years now, and it's the right timing for God to move him into a, a pastorate where he'll be leading a church and he'll have time to develop in even that process. And so it seems to us who are the leaders uh, in the church and in Presbytery that this is a good fit for Brian and his next step in ministry. So we are thankful that he is part of our church and will continue to be by extension part of our church, but look forward to what God will do through him and the ministry team that will go to Manhattan. So I give praise to God for Brian's friendship and his partner ministry here. We have a ministry team here. We're not, uh, you call it staff because that's kind of how corporate America puts things. But the truth is we're a ministry team here and we do love each other. We have a spectrum of personalities on our quote unquote staff that's quite interesting from John Myers on this side of the spectrum to Pastor Nathan in this part of the spectrum. I'm probably in this part of the spectrum, and Brian's on this part of the spectrum. So it's most fun when John Myers and Brian get together without anyone in the middle of the spectrum. That's the most fun, to watch those kinds of personalities. And we love each other like brothers, and I can say that for sure, and we will miss each other. But there will be ways in which we stay connected, and uh, we look forward to that, but we also... Uh, want to have opportunity to give praise to god for the ministry that he has done through brian in here and i hope that we will be continue to be an encouragement to brian and his family as they go so today brian come and open the word to us and teach us of uh, what god's word says Thanks. I
1: feel a little emotional i didn't know i would the um uh, you know years ago i remember standing in this pulpit to Preached my first sermon, and I thought I was going to pass out. And uh, on that day, Jacob Voss was making weird faces at me and made me laugh. And he's done it every time I've preached since. And so uh, maybe I'll make some weird faces at you today. The uh, well, <clears throat> all right. So uh, you remember those those pictures years ago that you were posters on the wall, and they were made up of tiny little photos. And you'd look at them and you'd just see a bunch of gibberish. Uh, and then you'd lean in close to them and, and slowly you begin to step back and step back and step back and that weird transition would happen where suddenly as you stepped back from this poster, you'd see clear as day this almost 3D image of, of the picture that all the little pictures were intentionally designed to, to show you. And it was just this, this beautiful thing to be able to step back and you're like, yeah, now I see it. And you could see it much easier from that day forward, and and it's just a neat thing. So uh, let me say I believe that the primary way that we ought to preach is to take the Word of God and dig into it and to expound it and to take it apart and put it back together as though we're we're looking at it through a microscope. But I also believe that there are moments when it's beneficial for the people of God to step back from the detail of the scriptural mosaic and to see the big picture before we lean back in and see the amazing detail again. And today is is one of those moments. We're going to step back and see the mosaic that God has built and that He continues to build <clears throat> um, and that He continues to build in redemptive history. And, and that means we're going to be moving from text to text at a very quick pace. And so in your in your outline, you can see that the text we're going to go through are right there. Those those numbers to the right are page numbers in the Pew Bible, so that you can follow along with us as we go and do that. I want you to track along because I want you to see it for yourself in the Word of God. So we're going to begin in Genesis 12, and we're going to move until we get to the, the, the Gospel of John chapter 4, and then we're going to lean in, and we're going to look at the details there and, and try to apply it to where we're at right now. And so, uh, but first, let's, let's go to God in prayer and, and just ask for his enlightenment and his understanding of his word this morning. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, enlighten our minds. Take away how tired we are. Remind us that your word is sweeter than honey. Remind us that we need your word like food. That it's to be eaten together as families and feasted upon as covenant families. While grass withers and flowers fade, your word, O Lord, shall remain forever, as will our souls and the souls of all you have created. May we see your great redemptive work in Scripture this morning, and would you give us a desire to see the spiritually dead rise from the grave in this life? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3 is where we're going to start here. And here we we see this Abram is going to be Abraham later. It says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All humans are created in the image of God. All of them. And yet here we see God come to Abraham with a unique blessing. A a particular calling and purpose on his life. I think sometimes we forget that that Abraham was just one human on a giant planet. Being told by God that he has this unique role to play in, in redemptive history. What a strange thing to hear. That... Then that, that God will not just bless Abraham's family, but something beyond that. And he tells Abraham that he's going to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. That's a big deal. And, and yet how God will bless the nations is a mystery to Abraham. And so turn with me a few pages to the right to Genesis 22 verse 17, beginning in 17. Genesis 22, verse 17 says, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And God's plan goes on to to bless the nations of the earth through the children of Abraham Turn again, just another page or two to the right. Chapter 26, verse 4. It says, I, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give your offspring all the lands and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, And my laws. And again, we see God working something wonderful in the world. He says again, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through his descendants. So now we're going to make a big jump over to Isaiah chapter 49. Give you a second to get there. Isaiah 49 verse 6. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. And hear this. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And we start to see a little bit of this picture that my salvation shall reach the ends of the earth. And God is saying here that it's simply too small a thing to to focus just on the tribes of Jacob uh, or Israel. God's plan of salvation is to the ends of the earth. And this is no small thing. It would it'd be easy for the people of God to want God to bless them or to bless their nation or to bless their neighborhood or or exclusively their family. And yet God here is making a statement. He's saying, I'm not just the God of Israel. I am the God of the whole world and I will redeem my people from every corner of this earth. So let's look quickly over at Habakkuk 2.14. Habakkuk 2.14 is the theme verse of the seminary I went to, Westminster Theological Seminary. And so I've heard it often and I've loved this verse. And you're going to, I'm going to tell you, you're going to also, right? Um, Nobody ever argues about loving the word, do they? Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Notice it didn't say that God's glory will cover the earth like waters cover the earth. Some of you science types are thinking, well, that would only be 70% and you'd be right. Uh, No, it says that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. That's 100%. Do you see that God's glory will be known? God will be a blessing to the nations. And so I want to turn us over to the New Testament the very first verse of the New Testament, to see how this is beginning to unfold. Matthew 1, verse 1. It's a little genealogy. I know how you love genealogy. Matthew 1, 1. The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It's small, but you see the connection there. Jesus is the son of Abraham, a a descendant. There are roughly... 2000 years between abraham and jesus and so children were born and they grew up and their children had children and their children had children and their children had children until eventually we get to to mary who gives birth to jesus why is this significant it's significant because jesus is the one whom god will bless the nations He is the one through whom God will bless the nations. And so Jesus is born and he is to be a savior, a blessing to the nations. And he grows up and he begins his public ministry and he's healing people and he's turning water into wine. And these disciples begin to follow him and he's discipling them. And then Jesus is put to death and he's put to death on a cross as a criminal and all is lost. The disciples scatter in fear of their own life. And then, and then they see and they talk to and they touch the resurrected Christ. Uh, Jesus' death and resurrection is a blessing to the nations. To you and I who are living 2,000 years after Christ's birth, it means forgiveness of sin. And it gives direction to our lives in a way that sometimes we just don't get like we should. So I want you to turn to the other end of Matthew, Matthew 28. You're familiar with this verse. I think sometimes when we're familiar with a verse, we almost want to zone it out because we already know that. Don't do that. Go to Matthew 28. Follow along with me. This is the Great Commission. And he says this. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Did you notice the scope of this statement? He said, make disciples of, of what? Say it out loud. Again. Yeah. To go and make disciples of All nations. You remember when God said a couple thousand years earlier that he would bless the nations of the earth? Here it is, and he could have wrote the message in the sky, but instead he chooses to give this task of evangelism to his people. And he says, go. Well, here you are. He's planted you in the middle of Johnson County or Leavenworth or Fort Scott or Lee Summit or Kansas City. Or pretty soon Manhattan, <clears throat> and this is where he has you. Wherever God has you, and he has redeemed you through the blood of Christ, this is where he has you. Uh, Christian, you who were not Israel have been blessed to know Christ as Savior. Let me give you some historical perspective. The the message that you have received, the gospel message that you have believed, went out from the mountaintop here in Galilee that we just saw at the Great Commission. Um, it passed through families. And countries and people of all sorts and times of uh, various times before eventually it comes to you and, and God opened your eyes to believe it. And so what we're seeing here in scripture is the beginning of what we've actually experienced in our own life as it went out from there. How amazing is that? Um, okay, turn to Luke chapter 24. We're going to go further to the right. I know we keep going right, right, right. It's the opposite of NASCAR. Luke 24, verse 46. Um, Jesus is speaking here, and I want you to remember that the word Christ is is a title of Christ, uh, meaning or title of Jesus, meaning Messiah or, or Savior. It's not his last name. Uh, so verse 46, And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from... Jerusalem. That's the message of the gospel. We're seeing this repentance and we're seeing this forgiveness of sins as, as we trust in Jesus Christ alone from Jerusalem to where? Where? All nations. Yeah, to all the nations. And and that's what we're seeing. And so um, I want you to see how this is working out then. Turn over to Acts 14, 23, uh, verse 23. It's like Bible drill today. Acts 14, verse 23. I hear a few of you flipping. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they have believed. Uh, this is the church. The, the church is how God is going to gather his people. They appointed elders and established these churches. Uh, these God ordained churches And we see all throughout the book of Acts That these churches grow As the word of the gospel And as the word of God is, is put forth And proclaimed to the surrounding people And so it's not just lone rangel, rangers Or appointed evangelists Or a special few it, It's the church working together and, and Redeemer is one of those churches And people are growing in faith And we should be a blessing to the nations And to our neighbors In all sorts of ways Okay so As we skim through these texts, my goal has been to show you how God is working in history to bring salvation, not just to Israel, but to the elect of every nation. And I hope you've seen that you're not just a spectator in this. And I know that's a scary statement to hear a Calvinist make, but you're not just a spectator in this. We we are spectators in this because God causes growth. Um... Absolutely, it is God who causes growth. But his people, me and you sitting here today, whose faith is in Christ, we are planters and we are waterers. We are sowers and we are reapers. We are farmers of men. And like all farmers, we should be working hard to plant and working hard to water and to pray for growth and to harvest when God has given that growth. And so before we look at our our, our main passage, I just want to set this up for you. It's, it's smashed right in the middle of, of the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, if you remember that the disciples, they're outside this village and the disciples all go into the village to get food. And the woman comes out of the village to get water. And Jesus begins this conversation with her just by asking for a drink of water. And as the conversation goes on, they speak about proper worship and where it's going to be and how to do it. And, and eventually he confronts her life and the sin in her life and And by the end of the conversation, she has this this knowledge of salvation, and Jesus reveals to her that he is the Messiah that they have been hoping for all these years. And so meanwhile, the disciples return with this food, and the woman's so excited about Jesus that she forgets her water jar, and she goes back into the village and just begins to tell everybody about Jesus. Um, The people, of course, after hearing her, head out of the village to meet Jesus, and they're on their way when our text picks up so turn over to Matthew John or sorry John 4 going back the other way John 4 beginning in verse 35 and he says this do you not say there are yet four months and then the harvest look I tell you lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to, to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. And so Jesus gives this this quick rundown on the usual working of crops. I think we get it. You plant, you wait for a while. Water, sun, various things. And a few months later, you harvest it. But then he takes this idea of of farming and harvesting and he applies it to the kingdom work of evangelism. And he says, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Remember, they're outside of the village where, where crops are growing all around them. And the townspeople have just heard the testimony of the woman from the well, and they're headed out to meet Jesus in, in the masses. And so remember, meanwhile, the disciples are busy trying to figure out uh, this question. You know, Jesus has food. Where did he get food? Who gave him food? And they're confused. And, and, and eventually, Jesus draws their attention back in, and he says, he says, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Well, once they lifted their eyes, what did they see? Farms, yes, but more than that, they saw the masses walking out who have just just received a testimony about who Christ is, um, and they're coming their way. Uh, the time of the harvest is is here, and, and he says the sower and the reaper rejoice together. Remember, the sower is the one who plants, and, and the reaper is the one who harvests. and And there's much time between um, between the, the sowing and the reaping, and yet in this particular case. We're seeing that there's very little time. Uh, she goes in and she sows and they come out and they reap. And, and I want to point out a few things in this text as points of application for you and me. And the first one is this. God and, and God alone causes growth. But there is kingdom work of sowing and reaping. And we can and should be doing this. In, in the Gospel of John, we see the sowing work of John the Baptist. Uh, and we see the sowing dis- work of the disciples, and, and in our immediate passage, we see the sowing work of the Samaritan woman. Uh, we see planting. Uh, they're showing the value of Christ in this way. They they show the value of Christ, and this is tricky, by valuing Christ. Um, we can do that. Uh, consider 2 Corinthians 5.20. I love this verse, and, and I didn't intend to originally use it, but I read it the other day, and it just kind of Blew me away. And I want to share it with you. It's not in your notes. You can jot it down if you'd like. 2 Corinthians 5.20. And it says this. Therefore. We are ambassadors. For Christ. Get this. God making his appeal. Through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Did you hear that? God making his appeal. Through us. Is, Is your life. Set up so that you're in a position to implore, to appeal, to encourage others to be reconciled to God. Um, not necessarily or even ideally in the in the bold, in your face, come to Jesus kind of way either. Uh, but more like when you go out to eat with a friend and, and they're going on and on about how amazing their meal is. And, and eventually you just want to reach across the table and taste their food. Don't do that. that's that's how we should value christ in our life Uh, that the watching world would see what we have and just want to reach across the table and taste it Um, that's the sowing that's the planting that must have happened when the samaritan woman returned to the village after speaking with jesus she she should encourage you and i and, and here's why I think this because often we think that to be used by God for evangelism, we need to be trained in a certain way. We need tracts, and we need the right questions, and we need to have memorized some sort of gospel presentation, uh, or that we need to know everything about Scripture and theology before we can witness to others. And here we see the Samaritan woman who who goes and sows to the people of her village a mere moments after believing herself. She has no training. Um, No deeper knowledge, she has no track in hand, no memorized presentation, just a changed heart. Uh, Unblinded eyes and a love for her Savior. Uh, and, And we see the same thing with the Apostle Paul. If you remember, he had a similar experience after the road to Damascus. Uh, where he's blinded and he meets the risen Christ and, and eventually he comes into the town and a, a mere few days after, after he's been, um, come to believe in Christ, he is, he is standing in the synagogue and he's speaking about Jesus is the Savior and Jesus is my Savior. Long before he, he was prepared in any formal way. The second thing I want you to gather from this text is that there is sowing and there is reaping and both are valuable. At any moment, you may be called on to sow or to reap. And a heart for evangelism does not mean that, that you push the gospel on someone at every given moment. And I'll, I'll admit, I, I struggle with this idea sometimes. I, I went on a bicycle ride this week, and, and the trail ended just past the Blue River. And there, sitting on this picnic table, was a 58-year-old man who had ridden over 20 miles to get there. I'm, I'm not in good shape. Um, neither was he. He was worn out. And so... <clears throat> As I had been writing, I'd been dwelling on this idea of what it you know, what is evangelism? What does it look like? And I began to speak to God in my head as I came upon this guy, and and I began to speak saying, God, is, is this gonna be that great evangelism story that I get to tell on Sunday about how this guy came to faith and and it's gonna be one of those amazing things? And and, and so I just came up to the guy and, and I just asked him a simple question as to whether this was the end of the trail. That was my leading question I decided to go with. Um, is this the end of the trail? And it began this conversation, and we talked, and he shared about how he'd lost his job recently, and we talked about his son who had just graduated from K-State, and we talked about religion and and faith and his daughter, and just the insane amount of travel that that was required of his previous job. And we talked, and we talked, and we talked, and and I began to share with him about our going to Manhattan to plant this church, and and just how scary it was, and and how we are trusting in God to provide for our needs and the growth of the church, and... As we were having this conversation, I felt this, this weight on my shoulders. Um, maybe you you've felt this weight yourself. A, a sense that I need to lay out how he can have forgiveness through Christ. I need to, to get that into this conversation somehow. And, and this weight that if I didn't do it and I walked away, that somehow I had squandered or failed in this opportunity. And I continued to pray and, and think through this. And eventually the weight lifted as I became aware that this was more about, about sowing than it was reaping, more about meeting a self-professed Christian who was kind and, and showed what was genuine interest and care for him in his life. And so before we departed, I, I told him I'd be praying for God to provide a new job for him and, and a job that allowed a slower pace of life. And, and, and as I rode away, I realized that God had brought me into this guy's life for a reason. And, and the reason was for sowing. And that was okay. Um, there are times for sowing and there are times for reaping. Maybe rejoice at both opportunities. The point is this, Christian. Be deliberate to do one or the other with the people that God has brought into your life. The third thing I want you to walk away is this. Jesus sees their need of salvation and, and you and I may need a greater sense of compassion for those whose faith is not in Christ Uh, consider this that through various outlets and and media you and I are reminded on a regular basis about people without food and without clothing and without clean water and without safety and so many of these needs of the world and and we should have compassion for them and, and help as far as we can we really should but as those whose sin has been covered by the blood of Christ, you, you and I, uh, may we never lose sight of the reality that there are people all around us whose condition is far worse and eternally so. J.C. Ryle had this to say. He said, have we relatives without Christ? Let us feel for them, pray for them, speak to the king about them, strive to recommend the gospel to them. Have we neighbors without Christ? Let us labor in every way for their soul salvation. So what do we do? How do we start structuring our life in such a way that evangelism is part of our daily intentions? I'll give you a few quick things. First, right from this text, lift up your eyes and see the opportunity for sowing and reaping. Do you see the people in your world who are in need of the gospel? who are they? Uh, Look where God has you today and consider that question. Friends, parents, children, relatives, co-workers, neighbors, someone in dance class, uh, the play that you're part of, a fraternity or sorority member, just people God has brought into your life in any way at all. And pray for God to show you them, to give you compassion for them that That you might pray and and work towards this. That no matter how grumpy or hardened from the gospel they might seem, that you might have compassion for them. And so start start in the sphere of influence that God has given you. Two, begin with prayer. It can be a very, very scary thing to verbalize the gospel to someone who you know is going to look at you like you're a complete idiot. That's the reality often as we begin to put this into words. So do you need courage Ask our Heavenly Father for courage to speak. Do you need opportunity to have a conversation with someone? Pray for that. Do you need the words to say? Plead with God for the words. Do you need love for others that is simply lacking in your life? Ask God to motivate you by genuine love for him and them rather than a sense of ought to. And parents, as you begin to pray for people, include your children in this. That they begin to get a vision for this. Three, do not be afraid of the question you cannot answer. Just tell what you know. Uh, You do not need to have all the answers. In fact, you likely won't. And that's okay. Uh, Do you know how you've been redeemed? Could you tell me if I asked you uh, how you've been redeemed? Then you know enough. Uh, And if you're still worried about that, though, practice it with a friend or a family member today. Ask each other something along the lines of, what does it mean to be a Christian? And I know that's a scary question because you're going to have to answer it in response right back to him. But learning the answer to that question is worth the possible embarrassment of initially not being able to answer that question. It really is. Uh, four, hospitality is a tool for evangelism. Uh, have people over. Eat food, play games, ask questions, answer questions, pray at your meal. Uh, you don't need to be awkwardly pulling out your evangel cube halfway through the meal and, and having your presentation ready to go. Uh, Plain and simple, be a disciple of Christ and see where God takes it. Five, God does not send you into the world to condemn it, but to redeem it as you point to Christ. John three seventeen makes this clear. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And so make redemption and the forgiveness of sin and the love of God for his people and the need of a savior, the focus, not their current behavior. Uh, What I mean is this, don't expect an unbeliever to act like a believer, and and don't expect them to clean up their life before they know Christ. Six, this worship service that you're at right now is in your tool chest for evangelism. You go to a church where the gospel is presented every Sunday morning when we partake of the Lord's Supper. And, And sometimes the easiest way to evangelize the people you know is simply to invite them to church. Um, to put them in a sphere of influence where, where they might get to know other Christians and, and and such. And so this is a place for that. Uh, let me be clear, though, our central purpose of this gathering on a Sunday morning each week is worshiping God. However, sitting and watching the people of God active in worship will, will put them in a position to hear the word of God, which is a means of grace. Don't don't forget that this is an actual tool in your chest to, to use. Uh, and seven, the last one, and I think this is important. When we talk about evangelism, um, sometimes we push so strongly that that you could walk out of here not excited about the gospel, not excited about Christ, not excited about forgiveness, but but ashamed of your own reluctance to and fear to really share the gospel. And so if, if that's you, if you're hesitant, if you're afraid, if you are struggling against embarrassment, let me remind you of this. Your Savior, our Savior... Jesus Christ died for that too if you still have your your Bibles open to John 4 I want to show you one more thing John four thirty nine, it's the very next verse and, and the woman the woman went down to the, the village and she spoke of her Savior and John four thirty nine records this and it says this many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's t- testimony he told me all that I ever did um, Jesus stays a few more days with the people, and we're told that, you know, two verses later in John four forty one, many more believed because of his word. And that day, God changed for all of eternity this the small village, and He's doing the same work today. Redeemer Presbyterian Church and and this gathering for worship is a testament to to our mighty God who is still saving sinners each and every day. And so, my prayer for you and for us is that that we might be farmers of men. That we might be active in planting and, and active in watering and active in harvesting while we watch with amazement the work of God as He grows faith in the hearts of His people. And so that's, that's my hope. Let us pray.